The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And what's good, everybody? It's hour two of Sports Talk 1240 here or WGBB Sports Talk. It's been, a, it's been a little while. I gotta gotta get used to that part again. The WGBB Sports Talk here on 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. I am your host Andy Sukoff, and with me tonight, as always, behind the glass is Brian Grace. Brian, how are we doing today? We got the thumbs up from Brian, so we are all set here. So let's get a little house cleaning here before we get started with the show. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk, and of course you can. Check out the website at wgbbsportstalk.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukoff. And, you know, for all, for all your, for all your show needs. So for all your show needs, you can, you can hit that up on Twitter at wgbbsportstalk. Hit me up if you've got any questions, comments, anything that you want to, anything you want to tell me. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for the next hour. So while you're watching the Bills and the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football, you want to tell you want to tell me what's going on there and tell me that Tyree Kill's having a great game, that you know Josh Allen is throwing for 400 yards and doing his thing. Please hit me up on Twitter. I want to hear from you too. So tonight's show we have former Jets and Dallas Cowboys quarterback Quincy Carter who will be joining us in just a couple minutes, and as I'm sure he can attest to. Football's kind of a funny game. You know, one one moment you're riding high, you know, you, you have you have the you have the league at your fingertips. And then the next week you have fans calling for your head. And and it's amazing how quickly that goes that goes in the NFL. So just like just like this week, last week the New York Jets, they beat the Tennessee Titans. And fans are starting to get a little bit, ha- get a little confident again. So, New York Jets, they win last week. They go, they go to London. And things are, the fans are confident. I mean, I, I can tell you from the groups that I was in for the, this whole week, we were, we were all very excited. It's like, okay, the Jets are, the Jets are finally in the win column. They're playing a bad Falcons team. That then, as the week goes on, Calvin Ridley's not going. And Russell Gage isn't going. So, now it's like, okay, the Jets defense has been good this year. This is a, this is a game that they should win. And of course, because football is the funny game that we all see, the exact opposite happens. And the Jets go to London, the Falcons go to London, and the Jets lose. And a 27-20 loss that, in all honesty, probably should have been like 40-10. to And that the Jets might have been lucky to keep it within 7. And it's one of those times I'm really glad I don't live in New Jersey, because I would have absolutely taken the Jets with the, mon- the three-point spread, and I would have looked like a complete idiot. So, as I was watching that game, 
aside from the fact that you know, 9.30, 9.30 games just really throw off the morning routine. You know, you, you know when they, they you watch your team at 1, and you, ha- you have your routine, you wake up, you have your coffee, you take care of any chores you might need to get done before before the game starts at 1. And by you're done by 11:30 or 12. So you, so you can you can sit there, you can enjoy yourself. At 9:30 everything kind of just goes into overdrive because you got to get everything done now. Because then now you have a full day of games to watch. Because the 9:30 game ends at 12:30, then you go right into the 1 o'clock games to the 4 to the 8. So you have a full day of football. You don't have that 4-hour buffer zone anymore. So I, I like the idea of the London game, but sometimes it's te- it's kind of terrible when your team is in it. And and God help you if you're if you're a fan of a West Coast team that has to go to London. So nine thirty nine thirty East Coast, you're to- you're talking seven thirty six thirty in the morning, and you know doesn't don't always mean you want to be wa- be watching that game at six thirty in the morning. That's that doesn't feel like a, f- a football time. Like to me, that's I'm still asleep because it's six thirty in the morning, and I, I think the Jets were still asleep today when they got to the, when they got to Tottenham Hotspur Field because once again, like we've seen in every game, they cannot move the ball in the first quarter. It's kind of astounding to me that they actually managed to do that in five straight games. Where no matter what they do, no matter who's out on the field, no matter who they're playing, they cannot move the ball in the first quarter. So like today, the Falcons were on the the Falcons offense was on the field in the first quarter for eleven and a half minutes. If you're Coach Robert Sala, how can you expect your team to win when your offense is never on the field? And your defense has to play 27 plays in the first quarter. And they're gassed before, before even the first commercial break. That's, that's not a sustainable model for winning football. You look at all, you look at all the teams that are winning in the league. The Chargers, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bucks. What do they all have in common? They have great offenses. Offense, it wins games. Because you gotta put up points to win. You know, your defense could be elite, but if you're not putting up points, they, they make one mistake, and that's it. It's over. The Jets defense, to their credit, has been relatively stout this year. Are, are they the 85 Bears or the 86 Giants? No. But for a young roster, uh, without their top pass rusher in Carl Lawson, they've done an adequate enough job that if the offense could get on their level, this wouldn't be a bad football team. They today, unfortunately, because the offense couldn't move the ball, and the Jets' defense couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback. Matt Ryan was not was barely touched, except for the one play in the first quarter where they got called back for roughing the passer, which, I mean, between you and me, was not roughing the passer. That was a it was a clean hit. It it wasn't down low. He. Quincy Williams held up as best he could. Like, what, like, what do you want him to do? Like, you're talking about a guy who's running full speed at a quarterback, and was there as Matt Ryan was letting go of the ball. There's really nothing that you're going to be able to do at that point to stop your momentum from hitting the quarterback. 
Like, like you're you're making that decision as the pass rusher. Like, okay, I'm going in for the sack. Quarterback, let's go to the ball. It's like, oh no, now I there's there's nothing I can do to stop. Like I, I'm I'm committed to this, and that that kind of set the tone for how that rest of that drive and the rest of the game went. The Falcons go down the field. They kick a field goal. The Jets stall out in three plays, like they had been. And the Falcons just drive right back down the field. Get get the touchdown. It's ten nothing before you before you even blink. It gets to seventeen nothing, and it's I'm watching, saying, "Okay, here we go again." By the third quarter, I'm going to want to turn this game off and and be grateful that there's a bye week next week. The Jets managed to hang around, which I will I will give them credit for. The they made adjustments in the second half and they didn't look as listless as they did in the first. And they started playing a little bit better. I still just like every other Jet fan, I still have my concerns and I will continue to have them throughout the season. You're talking about a rookie quarterback a rookie head coach, a rookie offensive coordinator, basically rookies all over, all over the staff, all over the field. Like there's going to be growing pains. Like I, every every football fan knows this, and to a point, we're going to accept that this season because we don't really, as Jets fans, we don't. I don't want to say we don't have a choice, but you know this is what this is what we signed up for. We the Jets got rid of got rid of the problem. They got rid of Adam Gase. Thank God. They traded away Sam Darnold to reset the quarterback clock. Again, a move that some felt unnecessary, others feel it was the right move. Jury is obviously still out on that because it's been five games. But there there are some troubling trends that I, I do see with Zach Wilson. And again, it, it's five games. I'm not going to Say, oh, this guy's a bust after five games because that's irresponsible and that's not fair to him. But it's not, it's hard not to notice when he's making the same mistakes over and over again where he's underthrowing his receivers that lead to interceptions. His intermediate routes are not crisp. How many times have we seen a pass thrown behind Corey Davis? That had he thrown it into the right spot, it's a twenty-yard gain, or you know, it's at minimum a first down. And those are the plays that you want to see. You want to see him make those improvements. Because accuracy is kind of the key as a quarterback. Like you got to make the right decision, and you got to be accurate with it. If you're throwing it behind your receivers every play, of course nothing's going to happen because. It's either going to go into the defender's hands or it's going to hit the ground. And ultimately, of the two, you would prefer the latter because in the in the defender's hands means you don't get the ball anymore. But th- those are the things that, as I'm watching, and it's the sa- it's the same thing every single week. That I I do wonder to myself: is this is this what Zach Wilson is? Is he going to be the guy that's going to make that big play down the field, and we're going to say, "Oh, that's great." Like he just like he just got them thirty seven yards, but we're gonna have to watch him miss on a ten yard out route every single time. I I don't I know I don't want to watch that happen for the next three years because 
I will pull out what's left of my hair, as will every other Jet fan. And, you know, for the last 10 years, for a lot of us, and for the last 50 of, you know, every, for the older Jet fans, that's, that's basically all we've been doing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I, I know it's not fair to say it's tough being a football fan because it really, like, that's not one of the most important things in the world. But, you know, when you do invest in this team and in, invest in the players, you know, you want, you want to see a payoff. Kind of, just like with stocks, you want, you want, you want to see, you want to see that payoff. So now, so now it's that, now it's that time to see those improvements week over week get made. And now they have a bye week, which is good. You know, you come, you come back from bye week, they have six games against teams that I don't think it's too much to ask for them to go three and three against. And that's, I, I, I'm not asking them to go six and oh. I'm not asking them to go five and one. Just give me three and three. That's, that's really all I, all I'm asking for. So you're, you'll be at four and seven. Obviously playoffs is not what we're expecting this year. But, you know, if you can give the fans something to work with and build on, that's, that's gonna be what's going to bring back some of that goodwill to the, to the fans, to the team. And that's, that's what we all want to see. We'll come back to that in a little bit because now I want to introduce my guest tonight, former Dallas Cowboys and New York Jets quarterback Quincy Carter. Quincy, thank you for taking the time tonight. Oh, thanks, buddy, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So we're gonna, we're gonna jump right into it. We'll, you know, you, you grew up in Georgia. Uh, who were some of your influences in football growing up and like who was your favorite team? Say that one more time. I had a hard time, uh, sure. uh, uh the last part of the question. Sure. Like, you, you grew up in Georgia. Like, where, who were some of your football influences and did you have a favorite team growing up or was it kind of just you, you would just watch football on a weekly basis? Yeah, man. You know, um, I, I you know, ironically, I grew up a, a, a Florida State fan, to be honest with you. I was in love with Charlie, uh, Charlie Ward at a real young age. Uh, you know, he won the national championship when I was actually going into, I want to say the eighth or the ninth grade. So he actually became my, you know, uh, my, my quarterback that I idolized. And then before then, at the age of 10, you know, I was able to watch Doug Williams win the Super Bowl. Uh, but I grew up a Bears fan, honestly, because I, you know, I grew up, um, I mean, I was born in Chicago, but grew up in Georgia. But Charlie Ward just jumps up, you know, uh, as my first guy that I really, really started idolizing, though. Yeah, I, I, I always remember Charlie Ward as the next point guard, and that went, that went up against, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was, no, what, no, Chris Charles, Kobe Bryant. Charlie Ward went, went up against Alonzo Mourning in the playoffs. And, uh-huh. like, so, like, I, like it's always funny when people say Charlie Ward the quarterback and others will say Charlie Ward the point guard. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh but yeah, man, he was my guy he was my guy growing up. You know, uh I didn't really have a Bears quarterback per se. 
to really idolize. Uh, you know, my grandparents wouldn't uh, wouldn't let me live it down if I wasn't a Bears, Bulls, Cubs, and Blackhawks fan. Even though I grew up in Georgia, I know, go figure. But my grandparents wouldn't let me do that. But uh, but I love Jim McMahon's toughness. Um, you know, but that was real, real early. You know, I was, what, eight or nine, I think, when we won the Super Bowl uh, back in 85. So uh, it was Doug Williams and then Charlie Ward were really the guys. And then you can kind of throw Hans Ward in there, to be honest with you. But it was late. You know, I think I was like in the 10th or 11th grade then. And speaking of the Cubs, uh, you actually played in the Chicago Cubs organization before committing to Georgia, and you, you were you were I there did. for a few seasons. I did, yeah, man. Uh, I was blessed enough to get you know uh, to get drafted by my childhood team, man. You know, I spent a lot of summers in Chicago watching the Cubs games come on at at one o'clock after the Bozo show and uh me and my grandmother watching One Life to Live and me and me and uh, me and my granddad would watch a lot of Cubs games, man. So yeah, I was blessed, man, to be, you know, drafted by the organization that I grew up watching a whole lot. So uh, you see a lot of a lot of football players do get drafted in, in Major League Baseball. Like you you've seen it recently with guys like Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson well, what is, what is it about uh, football and baseball that really draw draw players to both sports? You know, honestly, I I, I think it's you know growing up and and really uh, being serious about sports, and then as you grow up a little bit, you kind of figure out early that football is in the fall and baseball is in the spring, and you know, and basketball just kind of gets in the way a little bit. And then if you wasn't in love with that track out there, uh, baseball became your thing. And so, you know, I think it's more geared towards that. Well, you know, honestly, that's just my opinion. But that's what kind of gravitated me to the sport because I knew, you know, I was, at, you know, as I grew up a little bit, you know, I'm talking 10, 11, 12, you start to figure out what really you're good at and what you want to go at, go at in high school. And those are my two. Uh, so that's the two I spent the most time on. So that's kind of how it went for me. And that's kind of how the thinking was for me, too, as far as the, you know, the time I could put into both and be, uh, you know, uh, try to get good at both of them. We're talking with Quincy Carter here. So after the Cubs, you go, you go back, you go back to Georgia. You play, you play for the Bulldogs. What's a game day experience like between the hedges? For the players, like I, I've seen how it is for the fans, and it looks it looks crazy. How is it for the players? Man, I you know uh, it's so low key uh, for us because you know we're you know uh, when I was playing, we would go to the movies on Friday night, uh, have a have a dinner, a nice dinner at one of our uh, famous uh, Athens fixtures. Um, and then, you know, then we would have a meet late night and then, uh, hey, it's game time in the morning. Now, if we played at night, we would meet, you know, in the morning and kind of go over things a little bit, have a little walkthrough. But, you know, I mean, we were a very tight-knit group. We stayed together at the hotel before the games. And, man, I, you know, um, as much as we could, man, we, you know, we kind of got our way out of town and we kind of blocked out the noise as much as possible because we knew on Saturday, man, it was going to be uh, – it was going to be crazy in that stadium, and uh, and everybody was expecting the best out of us every Saturday. 
And so you got you got to be thrilled now that uh, the Bulldogs are number one in the rankings right now. I am, but I am cautiously optimistic, man. I'm just, you know, I, I want us to continue to build. Uh, you know, it's a long season. Um, you know, we got to stay healthy. Uh, so, you know, I, man, shit, I've been living through this uh, this whole 41 years since 1980. So I'll be honest with you, I'm cautious. I'm cautiously optimistic. And, uh, man, you know, I'm coming from a player's point of view. So I'm like Kirby in the locker room. <laughs> you know, let's just, hey, that number one deal looks good. But, man, let's keep chopping at the bits. And, uh, shoot, at the end of the season, we got three, the most important three games of, uh, of Georgia football. And that'll be that SEC championship, the first round of the playoffs and the championship, you know? So, uh, so I'm cautiously optimistic, kind of got on my coach's hat. And I uh, just want us to keep improving, honestly. Yeah. So how was the 90s and early 2000s SEC landscape different from what we see now? Uh, man, you know, uh, I, I I would say it's, it's pretty similar, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that uh, there's, a, I would say, there's a little bit more passing going on. Uh, but it, the tough... Um, you know, rugged, uh, who wins the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, uh, who, you know, don't, don't turn over the ball and, and comes out the game in the plus, uh, category as far as turnovers. Um, and you know, who's going, uh, who's going really, you know, bear down and make plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, now, you know, of course, uh, it's been a little bit of change, you know, over, you know, some of the years you got Hal, you had Hal Mummy come in with a lot, lot of passing. And then Missouri snuck up on us, uh, coming from the Big 12 and we had to make some adjustments. And I think those adjustments have been made. You know, I just think, uh, there's a lot of running games out of, uh, three, uh, receiver sets, which puts you in the shotgun. But still, ultimately, man, in the SEC, we're trying to win that line of scrimmage and, um uh, and then also, you know, uh, win the game of the kicking game too. But uh, but first is who controls that line of scrimmage. We're talking with Quincy Carter here. Do you have any games from your Georgia career that really stand out to you? That like like the, like crowning achievement from while from while you were there. Yeah, I've got a couple, man. I'm sure I got a few, man. I really enjoyed my time playing at Georgia. But I'll say my my freshman year, the LSU game. Uh, was kind of like my coming out party and, uh, and then beating Tennessee, man. They had, you know, they had beat us pretty good for nine straight years, I think. And, uh, we finally clipped them at home my junior year. Uh, so I would say those two wins really stick out the most. And then, and then after Georgia, you get drafted by, by the Dallas Cowboys in the second round of the 2001 draft. Did you have any conversation with Jerry Jones prior to the draft to kind of get a feel for the Cowboys organization and that they were interested in drafting you, or was it kind of like, like kind of like spur of the moment? I wouldn't be a Dallas Cowboy. No, it, it was it was real sneaky. I never went out to visit, uh, but we uh, I had a guy named Buddy Geis who uh, who I talked to a lot. I talked to Wade Wilson a lot before the draft. Um, but, you know, Jerry was kind of quiet on it. So I knew I was getting drafted uh, by the Cowboys at least about three or four days before the draft. It was just a matter of where they were going to pick me, 
could they keep moving down to get picks? Uh, because, you know, at the time I had broke my thumb, I wasn't really a hot, you know, commodity, commodity coming into the draft. So a lot of guys had passed me up, heard about some things going on, uh, behind the scenes. So kind of scared some guys off. Uh, so it was really just the Cowboys. The Raiders showed a lot of interest and, uh, and I think maybe the Vikings. Um, but yeah, but I knew I was getting drafted by the Cowboys about three or four days before the draft, though. But I never came out and visited, though. So when when you got there, you're at a year at year after Troy Aikman retires, and a guy won three Super Bowls. Was there any any added pressure to replace a guy like Aikman who had the standing that he did with Dallas, or was it like kind of like a fresh start for everybody? It was a fresh start, honestly. And man, I, you know, I, I grew up, uh, with a lifetime dream of making it to the NFL. So really, uh, that overshadowed it being, uh, me being drafted, uh, you know, the replacement of Troy Aikman. I know it sounds crazy to people, but, you know, my dreams and aspirations was to go show somebody I could play in the NFL. And I didn't care who I follow. And no disrespect, and Troy knows the competitive nature uh, that I speak from on that. Uh, but, yeah, man, I just wanted to be a starter in the NFL and prove to, to, prove to people uh, that I belong. And and you did get that. You did get that chance those those first couple of years. You got you did get some you did get some starts. You got your feet wet in the NFL. And you know, I I actually do I do vaguely remember this uh, when. Hard Knocks started in 2002. They they followed the Cowboys around that year, and there was that there was that big storyline with you and Chad Hutchinson vying for that 2002 starting job. How much do you remember from that? I remember a lot of it. You know, I joke with people and say they they talk about that 2002 Hard Knocks, and I said, "Oh, I was on there. I didn't even know that they were showing Chad so much." You know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just a joke of mine. But, uh, but yeah, man, it was good times. You know, I actually, to be honest with you, man, I could care less about that camera. Uh, all I know is I wanted to be the starting quarterback for the Cowboys when week, uh, when week one came of the season. Uh, so really, man, to be honest with you, they were there, but my mind was so focused on winning that job, I could care less about that camera. We're talking about Quincy Carter. Uh, the next, next year, uh, Bill Parcells comes in. Bill Parcells, Hall of Fame coach, multiple Super Bowls, and everywhere he goes, they start, they start to win. And then, like, the Cowboys had kind of been in, like, a transitional period, and Parcells comes in, and now it's pedal to the metal. Do you, what did you see in the locker room, in the demeanor of the locker room changing when Parcells came in? Well, I just seen guys like Terry Glenn, uh, Richie Anderson, uh, and some other guys. You know, we already had that win and Dexter Coakley and Darren Woodson, but you kind of seen Bill guys come in and kind of, you know, set the tone for the locker room. Uh, and it was just a perfect marriage about how we went about our business, how we prepared, uh, I thought we were a young, hard-working group, uh, before he got there. But man, when he, when, when, when him and his guys got there, and I'm, you know, the Richie Andersons of the world, or rest in peace, Terry Glenn, man, uh, those guys were ever able to really show us, 
uh, Bill's way, how we're going to go about winning, uh, how we're going to go about approaching the day. And I thought it was great for us because we had a young locker room at the time. Matter of fact, I think two years in a row we was the youngest team in the NFL. Um, so it was great to see those guys come in and set the example. It really was. And that, and that year was a career year for you. you throw for 3,300 yards. The Cowboys make the playoffs. And what is there a game from that season that stands out to you from from that season under Parcells? Uh, I, I, you know, the one that jumps up, out uh, at the top of my mind right now is probably the, the Giants game uh, when we clinched the playoffs. Uh, that felt good, man. You know, we went hell. We had two five and eleven seasons, two years in a row, sitting there watching the playoffs. And then, uh, uh, clinch that playoff berth against the Giants and then a former team of his, uh, shoot, that was probably the, uh, the biggest win that year, I think. And you, you must have been, must have been thrilled watching them take it to the Giants earlier this afternoon. Yeah, you know, I was, actually, I was on the plane watching and, uh, it was so funny. I was able to get it. So I think I'm a, uh, I, I think I'm going to fly. If I fly on a Sunday the rest of this season, I know I'm going to be flying with Delta. Because it kind of shocked me that we can get the game. But, heck, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I uh, I enjoyed that win today. Yeah, so after that season, you know, going to training camp 2004, things are going all right. And then about a month before the season starts, the Cowboys let you go. What was the immediate What was the immediate reaction to to the Cowboys cutting you a month before the season started after the season you had just had? Well, you know, uh, I was a little shocked by it. Um, but then honestly, you know, some things went behind the scene, uh, that, uh, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't going as smoothly as the both of us had thought. And, and what I mean by that, you know, I decided to make the fatal mistake of failing the test, first of all. Um, and, and, you know, doing some things in my personal life where I couldn't stop what I was doing at the time. But then there were some, you know, uh, some things that we got involved with, uh, personally. Um, and I mean, me, Sean Payton, Bill Parcells about a scrimmage that I didn't participate in. But I get it though. I understand though what they were doing because they're saying, Hey, okay, we got this guy who's coming back and, um, uh, took us to the playoffs, but hell, he just failed the test, and they knew about it, you know, and then uh, they got to get some other guys prepared just in case, you know, it could be uh, uh, maybe a possible suspension, and so I get it now in hindsight, being 43 years old, what they were doing, uh, but you know, when you're young and you're, you know, trying to make a name for yourself, you you know, you make bad decisions. And I had a bad argument with, uh, with Sean Payton and, uh, Bill Parcells, uh, didn't favor that argument. Uh, and so, you know, uh, so the, the Cowboys had to make a decision that they had to make. Uh, and, and rightfully so, to be honest with you, man, you got your starting quarterback of America's team and he's on the ropes of possibly you know, getting suspended, and now we got problems with who's getting reps and this and that. So, you know, decisions had to be made, and uh, if I could take it all back, man, I would shut my mouth. Because, I, you know, the, the thing is, is that no one ever beat me out, you know what I mean? And you weren't you weren't about to beat me out. Uh, and I had proven that. And so, uh, but I had started a habit in my life that I couldn't let go 
that I cleaned on to uh, at the time, marijuana, like it was my best friend. And when it was time to stop, I could. So ultimately, you know, that came uh, to bite me in the ass, and it did. And after that, a couple weeks later, you signed with the New York Jets. What was it about the Jets that intrigued you to to land there for the 4 season? Well, it was it was uh, it was the Jocelyn Johnson family who brought me in uh, with with welcome arms, and then it was Coach Edwards, uh, Harm Edwards, uh, uh, and and God, God dang it, and Tanner is it was it Tanner Mall? Uh, yeah, Santana Moss, Santana Moss was uh, on that team. Yeah, well, no, 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 not Santana Moss, the GM. Oh, was it Ball? No, it was uh, Terry Bradway at the time. Okay. Him and my agent had a great relationship. And then me and, uh, was it him? Yeah, I think it was. And then me and Herm just hit it out the box right away. We both, you know, were five or six o'clock, uh, guys in the locker room, getting the workout in, studying and everything. And just being there with him, man, was just great. It really was. And you, you got, you went two and one as a starter in November that season. Jets go to the playoffs. And I actually had Herm on a couple years ago, and I, I asked him this: uh, Do you do you think that the Jets could have beaten New England in the AFC Championship game if Doug Bryan would have made that kick, either of those kicks in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh? And what did he say? He he didn't didn't fully answer. He said, "I would have let I would have let Doug Bryan kick again if he if he if we had another chance." Wow, that's deep. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, that was one of the coolest teams I've ever played on, man. And I'm talking about in my life because you had a quarterback, Chad, and I was a backup too, you know what I mean? So it's real uh, humbling for me to say this too. But you had a quarterback, Chad, that everybody adored. You had the two-headed monster uh, with uh, – with uh, Lamar and uh, and Curtis Martin, I mean Santana outside just wrecking havoc. Then Quebec and uh, what's my what's my guy's name? Uh, uh, Anthony uh, at tight end and just the defense, how tight knit everybody was. Man, I you know I got the blessings of working with Pep Hamilton too. How about that? As the quality control guy, man. But that was a tight niche. Dude, yeah, man. So it, we were a tough out, man. We really were, man. I had a lot of good times in New York, man. Even though I, I wasn't in the best of spirits either, how things ended in Dallas. But being around those guys, man, uh, you know, man, that was cool, man. That was fun. That was real fun. Yeah, that that what that O four team was one of my favorite teams to ever watch, and you know, Curtis Martin, oh, uh, Curtis, Curtis Martin yeah, lead, leads the league in rushing that year. I. Uh, I, I, I really thought they were going to win that game in Pittsburgh, and nobody wins in Pittsburgh, especially not in the playoffs. Oh, right. <laughs> not in January. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Quincy Carter. So, like, you're staying involved in the game now. You do, you do quarterback camps in Texas. Do, is that like a, do you go statewide or do you kind of keep it like in, a, like, a, like in one region? Oh, man, I'm nationwide. I, I've got uh, camps going in Georgia right now, Texas, Florida. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas, uh, where, you know, I train a lot of quarterbacks there. But I go to Georgia for a couple weeks and train up some guys, you know, from back home. Um, 
so yeah, man, uh, you can, uh, you can reach out, uh, and try to, you know, get in touch with me at quincycarter17.com. That's my website. Uh, my emails through there. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I travel around and, and, uh, really, man, just teaching the nuances of the position. And then at the same time, man, talking to these guys about the pitfalls that you can run into. You know, I started a fatal habit at 17 years old, man, and it came back to take my whole career from me. And I say that with confidence when I say, uh, and, and humbleness too, but when I say, you know, uh, literally, you know, I, I, I never got beat out. I stopped myself from playing a lifetime, I mean, from playing a game that I dreamt about from the hell, the age of two, three, four, you know, wanting to play in the NFL, running around the house butt naked with no diaper on with a football. And I picked up a marijuana plant that everybody seems to say that is goddamn legal, but it's taking your career away. So, man, I preach hard on that. Uh, and I hate to call it preaching, man, but I just want these guys to give themselves a chance to make it and not get stopped, man. They do not want the pain of trying to pick themselves back up, knowing that you're the one who ended your career. That is a nasty feeling, man. So I don't want anybody to feel that way. So, yeah, I hate to be long-winded on that. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's a great passion of mine. So now that, now that you've been doing that for a while and you, yeah, and you, and you, you played in the league, when you're, when you're working with these kids, how have you seen the game change from when you played to now? Well, you know, um, uh, we've got to, uh, man, man I, I, I try to be cautious, uh, saying this, but you know, you, you, you got these kids now from seven years old, all, well, they started seven in the shotgun running this read option. And, uh, and that's the way the game I think has went. Uh, I'm still reluctant on it knowing good and well that's all I'm watching in high school and colleges guys in the shotgun. Um, but you're getting a quarterback now that don't want to fully all the way, um, surrender themselves to every nuance of the game. And that starts from dropping back. You know, and, and you can take the guys like, uh, your Baker Mayfields who ran the, you know, sat in that shotgun for years, but look what he's doing. You know, uh, up on the center, play action in the gun. You take a Dak Prescott who stayed in that gun for many, many years. And now what is he doing? Up under that center, you know, doing the nuances of really playing the quarterback uh, position from up on the center too. And so, and so what you get now, I think, is you get a lot of guys who can't do both, but they have big talent, great arms, and now when they get to the NFL, you know, um, you know that if you're not that Justin Herbert who can, you know, go from college to to the NFL and sit in that gun like that, uh, you, I think you lessen your chances. So the game has changed up until the NFL. And then the NFL says, no, you can't run the read option anymore because now the hash marks are condensed now and you can't spread teams across, you know, the field like they do. And now the athlete is better. So now if you're not uh, Lamar Jackson, if you're not RG3, if you're not Cam Newton for, what, three or four years after he gets banged up so much, if you're not these guys, 
then you know, uh, then, then a lot of guys get thrown by the wayside because all they can do is sit in that gun. And then in the NFL, they're going to find you at the spot. And if you ain't throwing that ball like Brady, you ain't moving like Lamar, you know, you limit your chances. So the game has changed in that aspect on the lower level. Uh, and I think a lot of kids are missing the boat on uh, on collecting all the tools that they're going to need if they really want to get a shot, uh, get a chance to uh, get themselves a chance to make it in the NFL, man. How, how do you think a player like yourself would be valued in today's game? Man, I know I would have came up throwing more because I will say this now: the game, uh, the change of the game on, on the lower level with the seven on seven has uh, has really taken uh, the quarterbacks to another level as far as passing. Uh, but I would, I, you know, I would have loved it. Uh, you know, there, there's rule changes now. Uh, you can't, I, Lord behold, if you hold a receiver, uh, if you touch a receiver after seven uh, seven yards. But I would have loved it, man. I think I would have flourished. Um, but man, you know, I still was, you know, I grew up idolizing the Doug Williams and the Donovan McNabs and guys who can, you know, do it from up under and the gun. So I still, I, you know, to this day, I still wanted to do both because I know at the end of the day, look at Brady. You can say he's sitting that gun all the time, but he's one of the best play action guys from up under center the game has ever seen. Um, so uh, I can talk about football all day, dude. But, uh, but yeah, I think I would have flourished though. Well, well, we'll definitely have to do this again, Quincy Carter. Thank you so, thank you so much for joining me tonight, and I, I definitely hope to speak with you again. Oh heck yeah, let's do it again, buddy. And thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Of course, that's Quincy Carter. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, hockey season starts on Wednesday. We'll, we'll talk some positives there. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back. we got a got like 15 minutes left here of Hour 2 of WGBB Sports Talk here on 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. So we went, we went through all the negative of the Jets and how you know they, they, like, they, they like to make us miserable. But now we're, let's talk. Let's talk a little positive. It's hockey season, or just about. The New York Rangers they they start up on Wednesday, going to Washington D.C. to play the Washington Capitals. And I know it's a new season and fresh start for everybody, but I wouldn't be lying if I said I'm ready for the Rangers to take more blood from Tom Wilson. After what he did to Artemi Panarin last year, I'm still not over it, and I know I should be. But I, I would love to see the new Rangers additions that they brought in for grit and toughness. 
I would love to see them go after Tom Wilson in the first 37 seconds of the period and just take him out. I, I'm not saying hurt him. I'm just saying just just shove him down to the ground. M- make him realize, oh, I'm not I'm not going to have my way with this team anymore. And that's that's been a knock on the Rangers for the longest time that they have immense talent, but that they don't have the toughness to get past the bigger teams in the playoffs. And we we saw that a lot. We saw those we saw those Ranger teams that probably should have won at least one Stanley Cup, but they would get bullied by teams like Pittsburgh, by teams like Boston, who had those guys who could throw their body weight around. So now the Rangers finally started to get those guys in like Ryan Reeves and Jared Tenorti and Keandre Miller is a big is a big guy who's still still filling in. Now he's six four two twenty. If he can get himself up to two thirty and not lose any of his speed, oh my, that's gonna be fun to watch. But the big news on the Rangers front and I think this is gonna be the biggest move that they make for a while until they until they sign Adam Fox to an extension is they brought they re-signed Mika Zibanejad, one of the team leaders here, for eight years at $8.5 million average annual value. That And for a guy like Zibanejad, who, if not for COVID, would have scored 50 goals in the 2019-20 season and got and started, started playing better at the end of last season, going into his contract year, you know guys that are playing for, their, for a new contract almost always step it up. So that that was already exciting to think about what he was going to do when not having a contract. But now that he's got the stability, I'm very intrigued to see what he does and emerge and see if he emerges really as the te- as the leader that this team needs. He's 29. He's been with the Rangers for five seasons. Kind kind of knows his way around, and is one is one of the better centers in the league. So I'm I'm ecstatic that the Rangers were able to make this deal happen and so close to the season now it, it's one less thing that they got to worry about so that that's somebody that when you when you look at when you look at the Rangers roster that's going to be one of those guys that you want to see on the score sheet every night even if it even if there's no points you want to you want to see him with shots on goal you want to see him with good time on ice numbers you want to see him in the plus minus category those are, those are the players that this team are going to be relying on to make that jump from fringe playoff team to legit playoff team to even potentially contender over the next couple of years. Because right now, the Rangers window is, I think, going to start opening. They have a good young core with guys like Adam Fox, Keandre Miller on the back end, Alex Lafreniere, Cabo Caco on the front. That they're now that they've gotten some they've gotten some NHL experience, we'll hopefully see them blossom into the players that the Rangers expect them to. You have Artemi Panarin, who's one of the best playmakers in the league. He and he was he was going to win. He could potentially win MVP before before COVID hit a couple of seasons ago. You have Igor Shesterkin in goal, and we we know what he can be. Is he going to be Henrik Lundqvist right out of the gate? No. And that, that that's hard for anybody to expect you to, to want that. But I I'm excited to see what he can do given an actual full season where he can play sixty games this year and 
see see if he can see if he can take that take that load. I and I believe he can. I, I'm excited to see what Gerard Gallant brings to the Ranger team. I I've always, I, when they hired David Quinn a few years ago, I didn't love the hire because I, I really didn't know much about him. And I always thought the idea of bringing in a college coach to coach NHL players just doesn't, just doesn't mesh. Kind of like, it takes a very special kind of college football coach to translate to the NFL. Cause like, I, I look at Urban Meyer right now and he's not it. Jim Harbaugh had some success but then immediately went back to college once things started to turn. But Pete Carroll is really one of those guys who made the transition, but he had NFL head coaching experience prior to going to USC and then going back to the NFL. So a guy like David Quinn, who had been an assistant coach before in the NHL, but had never been a head coach in the NHL, there's a different philosophy you have to take. Now with a guy like Gallant, who's been an NHL head coach for many years, for several different teams in several different eras of the sport, that's a guy who can take this young team and win. He was the head coach in in Vegas when they went to Stanley Cup in their first season. Those are that's a guy who's going to bring a winning culture to the New York Rangers. Is what the thing I find funny though that his stick only lasts three years wherever he goes. But if he can win a Stanley Cup in these three years, I'm really okay with that. That was that was one of those things that when they made that hire, I was. I was pretty, I was pretty satisfied with it. We can, we can talk about what they, what their, what their expectations are going to be. That the, the Metropolitan Division is still very tough, and it is. You have the, you have a team in the New York Islanders that came one game away from going to the Stanley Cup final. You have the Washington Capitals that as long as Alex Ovechkin is healthy, they're still going to be a very good team. You have the Penguins. Crosby, Malkin, again, health stays there, but they're always going to be they're always going to be a team that you're going to look at. There's there's a lot going on, especially now that it's back to the normal divisions before because like last year they had like all the teams in the East kind of jumbled up, and the Rangers wound up in the gauntlet division where they had to play Boston eight times and they had to play the Islanders eight times and it like the, the like there was no way they were going to make the playoffs, and they still only finished like five or six games away, which I was marginally. I was actually pretty impressed by, given the fact what they had to face. This year, I think I think they can make that jump. To I'm not saying they're going to be the top team in the division, but I could see them getting one of those wild card spots out of out of the out of the metropolitan division. They're, and may, maybe even sneak into that third spot, where they will have a guaranteed spot in the, in the playoffs, and not have to worry about having more points than the other wild card teams. There, they have the capability to do that, and I believe now they have the coach who can get them there. I'm I'm really really intrigued by what this team is going to do. I've, I've been wa- I've been watching I've been watching some of the preseason games and you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, just like in the NFL, because everybody's kind of playing their rookies and they're playing vanilla 
vanilla plans, so that way you're not going to give away too much of what you're going to do to give too much tape to everybody else. But when they played the Islanders yesterday, and you have Filipino out there scoring a hat trick to win the game for you, that's that's an encouraging sign. Because he's somebody that we've been hearing about for years and years and years, and now maybe he's ready to make that next step to be that contributor that the the team expects him to be and what the fans expect him to be. And I I always wonder, I I feel like fans, and this is not just a New York thing, this is an all-over sports thing, I think we all have a tendency to overrate our own team's players. And sometimes it's natural because you want... You want what you want to see the best out of them, and of course they want to see the best out of themselves because that means they're going to get paid more. And for us as fans, when they play well, they win. That's that's just how it is. But I, I think some people will take a guy that they think is supposed to be like this thirty-five goal a year guy, and then when he only scores fifteen, but he's a strong penalty killer and play. And plays well defensively, that kind of gets lost in the translation because oh we oh I thought this guy was going to score thirty five goals a year and be be the next Wayne Gretzky. It's like no, you got you got to slow down because there's multiple facets of the game that everybody's got to play, everyone's got to roll, and it's not a video game. Like, I I could throw I could throw NHL into an Xbox right now. I could throw the game on easy, and I'm going to win every game seventy five nothing. And my fourth line center is going to have 75 goals and 80 assists because that's just how it is. But real life don't work like that. And that, that's the great part about it. Not everybody's going to be the Mika Zibanejad or Tammy Panarin and Chris Kreider roles. You got to, you got to have the guy who's going to do the dirty work down low. Who's going to, who's going to set up the, who's going to set up the scorer. Like not, not everybody can be Alexander Ovechkin as cool as that would be. And, I mean, who who wouldn't want, who wouldn't want like four or five Alex Ovechkins on on your team? You just put just put one on each line, and one at the point, and just let them fire away. That would be fun, but not a, not every team's gonna have that luxury. So you got you got to find you got to find your role, and I, I think what the Rangers are doing now is they're they're setting those expectations. For all these players, like you're gonna, you're gonna be, my, you're gonna be my big PK guy, you're gonna be my power play point guy. This is, this is what you want to see from a team. You want to see, you want to see that foundation really get set right now. And that's that's gonna be what's gonna lead this team to hopefully what amounts to a hot start in in October, and keep it rolling. Again, I like I said, I don't expect them to be division champions. Not this year, anyway. But a playoff team is absolutely within the realm of possibility, and I would be very disappointed if, when come April, this team is on the outside looking in. That would be that would be incredibly disappointing to me. Hopefully, I know I'm obviously getting a little bit ahead because we they still have 82 games left to play. And that's, that's what, that's what makes me so excited coming in on this Saturday, October 10th. 
that in three in three days, I get to watch the Blue Shirts come back out onto the ice after a pretty long off season, and they get to do what they do best, and that's play hockey. That's just about going to do it for me here tonight here on WGBB Sports Talk. I want to thank Quincy Carter. I want to thank my man Brian behind the glass for putting us all through. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. And, of course, like always, follow the show on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. Follow me on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukoff. Any, any thoughts, comments, concerns, questions you might have, please hit me up because I, I would love to answer them. That's going to do it for me tonight. I'll be back again soon. Until then, stay cool. This program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.